2: Hello Big Interview listeners, this is producer Martin here and welcome to the first part of our preview show ahead of our 100th guest. When we recorded this behind the scenes episode with myself, Graeme and Neil... We actually didn't know who the 100th guest would be and we wanted to make sure it was someone special. So we're delighted to say that we welcomed Real Ferdinand onto the show as our 100th guest. That two-part interview will be out on Thursday and Friday of this week. That's the 23rd and 24th of July. Meantime, I hope you enjoy this show and just a note about the sound. Graham's sound quality is not up to our usual high standards on this one, particularly in the first 10 or 15 minutes. This was recorded in the middle of lockdown and we had a couple of technical issues, so please, please forgive us. We think it still sounds okay, particularly when you get past the opening part, so hopefully it won't take away from your enjoyment. So please enjoy the first part of this two part preview show ahead of our 100th big interview guest, Rio Ferdinand. From Backpage, my name is Martin Gregg and welcome to a special edition of The Big Interview. In the next month or two, we will welcome our 100th guest to the show. And we thought it would be a good time to reflect back on the 99 guests we've had since starting the show in mid-2015. So the idea is that we'll offer some glimpses behind the scenes from these interviews. Just little bits and bobs about travelling experiences, interactions with the guests... Memorable moments, things that you might not have been aware of when you listened to the shows. So to help us along, we have some contributions from our socials at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. And we are also joined by producer Neil White and the host Graham Hunter. Mm -hmm. Boys, it's been five years since we sat down with Gary Neville for show one. How does it feel to be 99 not out? Well, that, really, that should
3: be Phil Neville, given his,
2: the cricketing
3: uh, stories that he came up with, Otis Gibson, and, and being bowled at by a West Indian fast. And a West Indian quick, aged about. I think he was a fetus when he went into bat, wasn't he? He was aged about 11, wasn't he? And he would no hat in it. 99 not out. Um, first thing I would say is that I remember Gary Neville shouting across Skye's Duction floor. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember saying I'd do this. It's, it's a five-minute thing, isn't it? No, Gary. No, no, it's not. And and I think, you know, in biblical terms, the big interview begat Gary Neville's podcast because I remember him being shocked at the profile at that first interview of ours got and went up iTunes charts. And, and I remember him telling Andy Mitten that he was he was completely flabbergasted by the attention it got. And, behold well, Gary's got a podcast now, so...
1: Uh... If we can rewind slightly from that day at the sort of Sky Studios when we were trying to corral Gary Neville into a, a spare studio to speak to us for... 45 minutes or so was kind of the the birth of the project because as you sort of tell every single one of our guests when we sit down before we start Martin and I had to kind of explain to you what a podcast was five years ago. So Martin and I had had published two books with Graham, Barca, The Making of the Greatest Team in the World and Spain, The Inside Story of La Roja's Historic Treble and at the same time as we were producing certainly the second book. Martin, me and you had been listening to a lot of podcasts and spending a lot of our time in the office talking podcasts, right?
2: Yeah, I mean it was a growing obsession with us at that stage and yeah, I mean podcasting was still pretty niche at that stage. Now it's mainstream and everybody and their granny's got a podcast but back then it was getting big in the States and we were listening to a lot of stuff coming out of the States so we were listening to Tim Ferris, Mark Marin, Brian Koppelman Nerdist, Alex Baldwin's podcast maybe UK wise we are obviously listening to Desert Island Discs, Adam Buxton um, Distraction Pieces with Scrooby's Pip, And The Irishman Abroad is another interview based one but I think the thing that, that joins all these up is they were interview based ones and that is what kind of floated our boat Podcasting at that stage, particularly sports podcasting in the UK, was journalists round the table in a room talking, and we weren't really interested in that format. We really liked that these kind of long, searching interview uh, formats. I guess that's where the idea came from to to approach
1: Graham with. Yeah, and just before we jump off into into sort of content, you know, the the, the reason that we were so keen to kind of um persuade. Graham um, to do it I think was because we'd seen how he worked during the production of those two books and part of the reason those two books are as fantastic as they are is the skill he's got as an interviewer and the unbelievable not just contacts book but the relationship he's got with those contacts so we thought you know that we had the perfect guy to produce um, a football version of those long-form interview podcasts that, that we've been listening to so that's the background? It's near. It's nearly the background because,
3: you know, anybody who's interested in listening to this and any of the socials who've supported us so so kindly and loyally and it deserves to know what kind of half what you've entrusted your ears to because, you know, as usual, the, the boys tell their, their story in shorthand. And I'm not saying it's not true, although they're they're capable of filthy conspiracy and dirty lies. But the truth is, you know, to try and not convince me but to educate me, they sent me a, a Mark Marin podcast with... Kevin Bacon and they explained to me the the rags to riches story of Mark Maron and they explained to me you or guys you explained to me this is why he does what he does this is where his life failed and he he restarted it and this is how big he's got and you know I listen to it now, Um, I listen to Mark Maron now and uh, Kevin Bacon as a person and as an actor um, fascinates me greatly and I listen to it and I even remember the anecdote that I got stuck on about straining spaghetti through a tennis racket just like Jack Lemon and Shirley MacLaine in the apartment. And it made me furious. I thought, this I'm not listening to this shit anymore. My man kept interrupting and he was yelling and roaring and he sounded like, a, although he's not a redneck. And I was like, what of these guys do? It's like, the first time your, your mum says to you, here's a tablespoonful of cod liver oil, this will do you good. And you're like, I'll kill you if you take that stuff near my mouth again. And... You know, I'm such a half-wit that I had to go away and forget about Mark Marin for about three years before I could come back and go, Aye, they were right, this is this is so. I did this based on you
2: know just simple. Halfwit country boy John Denver style trust in you two. I want to come back to a wee point you made there, Graham. Actually, because you, I still remember Gary shouting over the floor and saying, "Oh, five, ten minutes, Graham." And that that was a key point actually because you basically said, "No, that's that's not what this is about. This is like a you know a proper sit down long form interview, and you know that's that's what the boys are down for. That's what we want to do. You could easily have said, "Well, we're looking for a wee bit more than that," but you immediately said, "No, no, this is, this is what our expectations are." Which I felt was really, really important And to be fair to Gary He immediately, you know, switched on his, his professionalism And he said, right, I know what this is now And then he subsequently delivered The segue into that though is that Just just because
3: he's chronologically the first I think it's a fluke that he's also the first Who finds himself lost in the chat in the middle of it And he didn't expect to be Because none of us had really decided We'll start with Richie Benno as the first subject It just came into my head I knew that they were cricketing people the Neville's and you know it affected me the loss of somebody Richie Beno who did things that the three of us wanted to do so brilliantly you know it could have been a it could have been a steer guys right from the start Gary might have gone hold on a second I'm in the middle of Monday Night Football pre- uh, prep I've told you I thought this was a five minute interview and now you're talking about Richie Beno. but instead he bit and then when he when we made the segue about quality commentary on air and choice of phrase he became very reflective and and that was the he f- was the first interview but it was the first time I watched somebody get a little bit l- lost in the moment of I, no hold on I, I've got something to say here I, I I really want to explain this properly and time I I, I don't think he sectioned away that like I've got 45 minutes down instead of five and this might be my perspective only and I might be wrong but I thought I saw somebody going wait this is I'm, I want to see this these things matter to me and I 'm in a place now where i'm going to explain something that I might have that's in a corner of my head that i didn't know I was going to talk about today but i'm going to make a damn good job of, of explaining this and you you'll both remember him saying that he tried to temper des- descriptions of excellence and greatness so that he had a, he'd have room left to go in other descriptions and I thought you, you don't hear a lot of exportsmen calibrating their their use of vocabulary like that and for a while i thought he was you know just lost in the moment and
1: that's great it's a sweet spot yeah i mean i've i've got a little sneak preview of the the interviews that some of our socios have asked us to talk about today and i'm looking down the list and three immediately spring to mind as ones where we took the same approach that we decided going in that while we were going to, you know, there's no subject that was off limits in terms of their career, we knew there was one area where we really wanted to um, put the handbrake on and spend a lot of time. And that was definitely the case as well with Gary. And I thought, you know, to go back to what you said, Graham, who knew that this guy was going to be as good at talking about, commentating, and analy- analyzing football as, as he was about talking about football, about the game itself? so it was it was fantastic and the the section that you were talking about was him was it burning a word it was a word that he used to describe Messi scandalous scandalous talent scandalous talent and then he went to reach for that phrase the next time he was doing a prem game and he he, he might have even mentioned a team or even possibly a player that he was watching the game and he went to say it and he said no I've I've called Messi's the scandalous talent so that's in a box over here I probably can't use that for anybody else and it's one of those moments, and there you know, we're going to talk about a bunch of them that, like, literally years and years on now from when we started doing this, you, you never forget them. It's, I'll say one that isn't on this list, but Chris Waddle talking about the feeling he got at Sheffield Wednesday when the ball landed at his feet, and he knew that the fans behind him had got onto their feet because he heard the flap, 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 flap of all the seats going up and hitting the the, the seat backs as these fans. Rose from their seat positions to stand up to see what Waddle was going to do, and it's it's crazy how how these things stick with us. I'm kind of raring to go. I can't wait to get into to this list. Martin, who's
4: the first social that you've got?
2: Yeah, as I mentioned, we canvassed the opinions of some of our socials, and the first up is Miles Channels in South Africa.
4: Thanks for all the great content of late. I've particularly enjoyed the Sven interview, Jimmy Bullard, and the insights into into Barca behind-the-scenes goings-on. My The thing that sticks out in my memory from the big interview, I started listening in early 2016, um, is the Kevin Bridges interview. It was around about that time that I listened to it. And um, he was talking about his experiences following and watching football in, in Argentina. And he started singing that Rive Decime Que Se Siente song. I then became obsessed with that, started watching videos of it at the Superclásico and all that stuff. And it started me on the road of an obsession with Argentine football and I started listening to the Hand of Pod podcast, which is an English language podcast and from Buenos Aires. Yeah, it's just actually ended up being quite an amazing thing because um, I, it opened up this whole world of Argentine football to me, which is a fascinating world. And quite a crazy world as well And I, and I plan to go and To visit, visit Argentina at some point And watch football there And experience uh, experience Unbelievable atmosphere So it's all thanks to Kevin Bridges And and yourselves
2: Here's a clip of Kevin singing We Bear di semi The Argentinian
0: league that, at... It's the passion cause... Aye, I want to go and see San Lorenzo next Why? I've just seen some clips of their fans And a couple of people were saying When I was over it Buenos Aires or you need to go see San Lorenzo The type in San Lorenzo Dicen que estamos un cabeza that's the song it goes on for ages I get got voted the best Latin language football chant in some magazine or my mate was telling me you know Roberto don't you yeah it's yeah funny. fantastic man, yeah. keep me in the loop with all this sort of stuff they sent me a clip of their fans and it's unbelievable
3: well I, I've watched the clip of them singing River, me, que se siente.
0: Haber uh, jugado And it's, it's... aunque <laughs> no nunca no vamos olvidar. <laughs> <laughs> What a tune.
3: And the whole thing is like,
0: you went down, we saw you, we're never going to let you off the hook, and take it. River, tell me how it feels yeah. to have played in the second division, even though every year that passes we'll never let you forget, the stain will never go away. Because that was the game I was at, it was the River's first game in the top flight. We come back, yeah. So all the Boca fans are dressed up as ghosts. <laughs> the ghosts are Division B, so it's so all these guys with white bedsheets with a big B on them. And they're just, uh, I took my phone out like a tourist. I was just there myself, it's going to be hard to ever explain what the atmosphere was like unless you get a bit of a video. 21st century guy, I felt like a bit of a dick, but I recorded a wee bit of it and the guy's just grabbing me, going, my friend, no like, sing, sing. Never <laughs> Sorry, mate. Going back in the pocket. That and... <laughs> uh, was incredible. But it is, yeah. I mean, it is, it's primeval, it's unbelievable. It was scary, it was pretty intimidating, let's see, the day, I left the hotel the day of the Boca River game, and it just had that atmosphere, and the baking hot sun, but you could just tell there was something happening in the city that day. Like It's on everybody's mind, even the taxi driver, the radio was on. It's some phone-in show, you can tell it's obviously team news coming in, and, he took me as close as he could get to the stadium and you just see all these armed cops everywhere everyone getting lined up and searched I to go through like four metal detectors and the guy beside me he's got like 15 rockets in and flares and he's going did you not come through the same metal detectors I came through? As long as you've not got a gun everything else is okay <laughs> that's about what it is yeah, isn't that's it? right oh, the, the linesman get hit with a bottle and never even told the ref Just the game just <laughs> played on no, no it was only a plastic bottle it would be fair play to him for not hitting the deck but Part and parcel. And the ref actually stopped the game as well the one I was at. I don't know if you ever seen that. It was twenty minutes. They took all the players off the park. Because of the Because of the rebuild they see me cases. They were singing it for ages. It was obviously a premeditated thing, all the fireworks were going off at this like a certain minute on the clock they all just went mental. And then the ref's just like I watched the one footage of the one you were at and the, you can't, all you can hear is that, the noise and you, you, you
3: join in the rhythm but the smoke from the fireworks and the flares you actually can, can't see it you can't no. see the fire well, on yeah.
0: you can't even see anything we
3: recorded um, Gordon Strachan in London uh, one day. We pitched up and did an interview with Kevin in your offices after he'd been at boxing training and I had to do a long interview with him first up for his, his tour programme. And I remember you both going, he's tired. I've never seen him tired before. <laughs> And there was both fear and awe in your voice And I was, I was knackered And I think I had to take a, a wee brandy in my tel room Or something like that We sat down with Kevin I think he was a little bit nervous too And we get into that point there and, and listening back to it now made me laugh. And it made me laugh because from the first moment I met Kevin, the, 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 the first thing we talked about was Revista de la Liga. We bumped into each other in a comedy club in in Barcelona. And I didn't, I had, because I'd been away, I didn't know about his emergence. I didn't know who he was. And he was, he was like, oh God, it's you. And I watched his gig and it was so funny. And the first time we ever went on a lark together, we were in Madrid for some stupid reason. And we were on the metro together and he was tapping people on the shoulder and, and practising his Pigeon Spanish like you hear in the song there, going, ¿Dónde está la mantequilla? <laughs> we stopping people in the metro asking them where the butter was. And listening to him singing there and talking about, first of all, San Lorenzo and Boca Juniors. And one of the things that that's You know, Miles, thank you, first first of all, for the brilliant, brilliant anecdote about what you used Kevin's passion for Argentinian football to do. And thank you for recording your message. It's it's indescribably brilliant to hear stuff like that. But what I love about that is that people need to understand that with success and fame, Kevin simply followed his dreams. And that even, however... Famous or wealthy, he's become all he used it for was like, All right, now I can nick off to go and watch Booker Jr.'s play. Now I can mingle in With the crowds And get my top off And jump up and down And wave up and down And abuse River Plate Now what it is About growing up in Clydebank That makes you hate River Plate I've never quite been Able to understand Maybe <laughs> was Some sort of Argentinian worker In the singer factory I don't know But oh, that's brought Tears to my eyes Of laughter Again listening to Kevin do that magic
2: It's interesting Because I think He is possibly The only guest We've ever had on Twice yeah, We did a part two A couple of years ago And that, that clip Was from the first Interview in 2015. You say that now, but I and, and the first interview was, was brilliant. I
3: remember for for years it was our most popular one. I'm not disagreeing with you, but because I knew Kevin individually, I was grateful to him on the day. He kind of rescued me a little bit by he, he went into a lot of what was anecdotes that would, were all in his head for his book, some of the stuff he'd, he'd begun to tell on stage. He's an outrageous performer because the other time that you know we did the two podcasts and you know, you put us together on stage at the I-Rite Festival. And that was quite a big audience, and it was great fun. But, you know, I remember once I played football against Peter Beardsley. I played football against Mark Wright, the Sheffield Wednesday striker. And I remember playing football against Ian McCall when he was a Rangers footballer. He was just a mate of a mate of mine. We played on the old AstroTurf, flat AstroTurf. And I'd never... I was younger then and fitter and, and all that kind of stuff. I'd never seen somebody disappeared and he mccall was not a fast footballer but like somebody just goes you know with the first touch in the movement i was like bloody hell that's what that's about and that's what being kevin being around kevin is like when the microphone's on or when he's on stage he's not simply funny he's an outrageously intelligent planned controlled performer and he is scandalous he is messy but when when we sat down in that first interview i knew he'd it had been gold And we'd connected again And it was fun And listeners would But I also knew That the, the other side of Kevin That I'd known as a friend He took time to Relax into the interview And the second interview I don't know if this comes up in Anywhere later And I'm jumping the gun But I, I don't listen back To the interviews very much Because I, I dislike hearing myself so much And I was on a train Not that long ago I think Traveling down to Villarreal or Valencia for a game, and and I and I decided to fill an hour listening to Kevin's second interview, and that was that was just Kevin. That's the big difference. You, Martin, you were talking about it was a sure bet. It's a sure bet that Ke- Kevin would be intelligent, articulate, funny in the first one, yeah. But the second one is so markedly different because one we knew each other better too. He was completely relaxed. He was king of his world. He'd just come off a of recording one of his shows, and his natural wit. So he scripts a lot of the stuff that you see stage he writes well he's a really talented writer full stop but in person not all no i i i Met many people go on stage and film and whatever. Not everybody who's brilliantly funny in, in those media is off stage, and he is Kevin. If anything, is perhaps even funnier because he's slightly more dangerous. And in interview 2 I I think that came across. and interview 2 with Kevin is is one of the sort of happiest, proudest moments of this of these five years.
2: Yeah, it was great that he, that he turned up actually because it was a it was the day after he <laughs> his tour had finished and uh, he wasn't on a lot of sleep. And uh, I remember pouring quite a lot of coffee for him during that interview but um, he delivered again it was it was brilliant and as you see a completely different type of conversation a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend plushcare.com slash weight loss Okay, we're going to go on to the second contribution. This is from Social Robert who says I can't believe you're approaching the 100th guest and I assume that the only fitting names are either Blessed St. William of Miller or His Highness Sir Alex of Ferguson. He says, but maybe that's the dawn's tinted lens through which I view the world. He says, there have been many highlights from the interviews thus far, but personal highlights include, number one, Luca Viali explaining that whilst he wasn't the fastest, he was the fittest. His account of how his new teammates at Chelsea were disappointed at where he ranked in the first sprint exercise and training, and his private knowledge that by the time they got to the 30th sprint, he'd be top of the pile, was excellent. Following this with a detailed description of how in games he chased lost causes in the opening minutes just to work the defenders, brackets who were presumably of the view that he was barking mad, not that quick and therefore going to be easy to defend, was a masterful insight into elite training, thinking and competitiveness. So just before you comment on that, Graeme, I just want to say thanks very much for that, Robert. The thing I remember about Luca Vialli is he had the most magnificent London townhouse. You'll remember this, Neil. Uh, We turned up and his door was answered by a butler uh, who proceeded to serve us tea in the lounge. And then the bold Luca floated in maybe 10 minutes later, several shut buttons open, smelling wonderful, looking wonderful, just a truly
1: classy man. Viale goes straight onto the Mount Rushmore of guests in terms of like, I think I fell in love with him a little bit. So th- that doesn't happen every time, but he's on he's on Mount Rushmore for that. And plus one of my favourite interviews, but the whole experience. Absolutely. Just to jump in here as well. The thing that I remember about Luca is that he
2: he spent 10, 15 minutes after the interview asking us about the business model for podcasting. He was really, really interesting. And you don't often get that from guests where they take a really deep interest in what you're doing. And he was asking really insightful questions. And you think about, I think that said a lot about him, but also the fact that he is very tuned into the media and he's probably been involved in the media for as long as he was involved in professional football. You know, this is a guy who set out in his mid-thirties to build a career in the media. I just thought it was really interesting,
1: a really interesting insight into his character that he was equally as interested in what we were doing. I mean, I tell you, this is one of the ones that I thought about when we were talking about the magnifying glass because we did cover a lot of ground with Viali and... It's interesting, I hadn't really thought about the stuff that Robin mentioned too much, but we had decided that we were going to zero in on Sampdoria's... He spent like eight, seven or eight years at Sampdoria, but we decided that we really wanted the story of um, the Scudetto that he won in 91 when he was top scorer in the league. And he was brilliant. As soon as he realised that that's what we were up to, he was his recollection was absolutely fantastic. It wasn't the first time that we got into roberto mancini no it wasn't the last time but it was the first time that we got into roberto mancini on the podcast that was fantastic and yeah he ended up getting this picture of how he operated on the pitch on the training pitch and then when we eventually did jody morris which i think must be two or even three years later and then jody spoke for a big junk about luca and when you do 99 guests over four and a bit years you do eventually get that crossover, you get other guests talking about guys that you've had on the show previously and it's pretty cool. And I remember Jody Morris saying that Luca would always tell him that the first run was for the defender and the second run was for Jody. So he would he, he would be waiting for um for Luca to change gears.
3: He also hold on, hold on, hold on, don't tell a story badly. He also sat in Jodie's room as his roommate, buck naked smoking a cigarette and organite or ordering hamburgers from, from room service. Like let's let's be let's be fair to Jody's story to tie the loose ends up with what Robert said. What I really like, you know, I'd been sent over to, to Turin to try and explain to the Scottish Daily Mail why it was that Juventus didn't just pump Rangers twice in the Champions League group but why they ran all over them. And all other factors aside, when I went over there, Daniele Boalia, their press officer so then I said, Listen, you've got you've got free free roam of the stadium, the dressing rooms, the gym no problem at all. The reason I had to hang around on day one until eight o'clock at night to get my Gianluca Vialli interview um, as he arrived in his two and a half grand pinstripe three piece suit and I sat there in my probably 87 quid Slayers three part pinstripe suit and we actually sort of touched and examined each other's cloth and he said nothing but there was an expression on his face but the reason we had to wait there was they were doing double sessions and, and double sessions were the norm then and Having watched them do the double sessions, they were they were brutal. In the mud of the Comunale, using the, the, the original Juventus Stadium as their training ground. when they were then playing at Deli Alpi. And, and so therefore, to, to pick up on Robert's point about what, what Luca said about, you know, at that stage when he'd come on a freedom of contract move and he'd turned down Rangers and Athel Still, the Aberdonian impresario, had, had made the move for him. To hear him talking about what he still thought training was for fitness was for to hear Jodie eventually talking about what great centre forward play was about I like it when you these little tributaries intercept and become a great flow
2: okay here's socio Robert again with his second personal highlight when he says Ozzy Ardiles and his version of the cat is under the table contribution from Ricky, Ricky Villa and his translation from Spanish to English of Villa after the first training session saying this team is crap <laughs> Both, both had me laughing on the way to work. That was an extraordinary interview with Ozzy.
3: There were two moments when I thought, automatic, yeah, this is this is really going to go well. And it's when Ozzy eh, asked for an extremely strong coffee, but into his first piece of uh, uber-sugared shortbread and took his shoes off. So I thought, he was going to Maxie Miller's anniversary lunch round the corner, his old teammate. So there was a slightly limited time, but I thought, if Ozzie is taking his, his shoes off and putting his stocking feet up on the chair that he's pulled in, this is a master storyteller getting ready. It was like, Jack can already used to, if you're sitting comfortably, then we'll begin. I, I was knocked out because I'd had several days on the lash with Ozzy over my life, and the first time I ever met him, it was with a friend of mine, Matt Lorenzo, and we were sitting looking at Putney Green, and we would a couple of pints and Ozzy swore like I'd never heard anybody swear before. A range of vocabulary, machine gun repetitiveness of certain words. And, you know, I felt about him then as you felt about Viali in his townhouse. I was like, ah, this will do for me. And we, we went out on a big revista Christmas night out where he allowed a, a, an extended comparison by me of his footballing career <laughs> and my And I made a repeated and I thought devastating case of why my football career was significantly more important and successful than (laughs) his. And he joined in at great length and then explained to me at huge length why, even though he, he loves Britain, wouldn't move back permanently to Argentina, he explained to me at great length about how he was an anarchist and how he didn't believe that we were a democracy in the UK because the House of Lords has a voice in, in lawmaking and it's unelected. So we we had an unusual big night out before the big interview. Yet t- two things stick with me and, and and maybe I'm different from you two and maybe I'm different from the listeners. But to hear this man who I adored and whose name we used to shout in the, at Culse Academy, well you know the goal scorer shout that when I was growing up it was Pelé. But when we were playing three and in a world cup from 1978 onwards with a tennis ball in the bike shed. A goal was Ardiles and he wasn't a great goal scorer. So why we picked on him, I don't know, but he was or Ardiles as we called him then. And to be sitting opposite him and hear his story about how friends of his were plucked off the street by the, by the military government and killed for protesting. And the only reason he reckons, not because his father-in-law was head of the prefecture head of the state his future father-in-law it would have been at that stage but he was in the RAF he was a a full-time law student and he was a full-time professional footballer all at the same time so he just didn't have enough spare time in his day to protest as he would have wanted to do alongside the friends who became disappeared i.e. taken tortured and killed and the other one far less grave but nonetheless completely unknown to me and still bewildering is that you know, in the lead up to the World Cup final in 1978, he couldn't walk. He was so badly injured that he had to be piggybacked onto the training ground and injected, such that Minotti, I believe it was, could could say, "All ah, right, you're in. You're you're you playing. We can't do without you." And and before the World Cup final, where failure could have cost everything, not just in football terms, to go out there knowing that the previous day he couldn't walk unaided, carried, and then to play in a winning team, but, ugh, you know if it. That th- Those will be in my pantheon of Rushmore moments Of any
2: football conversation I've ever had Definitely That pre-interview time is really important Because part of our jobs Particularly myself and Neil and, and you included Graham, Is making sure that the guest knows where they're going to be When they're to be there Chatting with them beforehand Making sure they feel comfortable Getting them in the right mindset for the interview Sometimes there's quite a lengthy preamble In the room just to make them feel comfortable and in the right mindset for opening up, and the way we want them to open up. So it's not just about when the, you know the, the microphone goes on; it's all the stuff before that that perhaps that the listener is not aware of that goes into hopefully making a high quality product.
1: Yeah, and just I'd add like the three that we've spoken about um, in depth so far: Bridges, viali and Aussie. And this isn't always the case across the five years, but those three episodes do span the lifetime of the show because Aussie was this season and Bridges was one of the earliest ones that we did. And all those three guys had some history with you, Graham. And it just talks to that, what I was speaking about when me and Martin were developing the idea for the show and the kind of, the way you sort of realise the value of your entire career as a, as a football journalist by keeping those relationships going and then when, when the time, it's not just the fact that you've, you know, you've got the numbers, it's the, the fact that when you ask something of these guys, they say yes and they show up and there is the, the kind of spark that we get, you know, more than nine times out of 10 um, and definitely was the case with each of those three guys.